welcome to Shadowcast episode 42, the SNM Horror Magazine Story of the Month for July 2011. I'm your temporary host, Derek Manuel, filling in for Jason Warden, whose limp, bloodless corpse was found dangling from the rafters in a barn in rural Mississippi this morning. No, don't worry. Jason is expected to make a full recovery and return to the podcast soon. Our story for this episode is the SNM Horror Magazine Story of the Month for July 2011, Control by J.C. Hemphill. J.C. Hemphill makes an impressive debut here at SNM Mag and lands the story of the month. He is the author of countless short stories that bend the spectrum of fiction, and he is currently writing a horror thriller novel called Standing Water. He lives in Georgia with his wonderful wife and two dogs. Leave him comments in the reader's guestbook and check out his website for more info. You can find him at jchemphill.scribblefolio.com. Control by J.C. Hemphill We need to talk. I gazed deep into my flabby, unshaven reflection in the mirror while I rehearsed the speech for the thousandth time. As the moment approaches, I find the words fleeting. What I have to say will hurt her and kill me, but the alternative of saying nothing is too dire to ignore. Listen, Stella, we need to talk about our future. As my lips pull and shift with the words, I notice my mangled teeth protruding. The graded peaks and valleys stretching into the darkness of my mouth resemble a roller coaster. I shake my head, pushing aside the distractions of self-deprecation. I must focus on the task at hand. Sweat on my brow glistens in the mirror as I question my decision to follow through with my scheme. Digging deep, I gather every morsel of confidence in my body. You can do this. Tell her the story, make her believe it, and nobody gets hurt. There's no other way. False conviction shows through the quivering in my cheeks. I twist the silver handle of the porcelain sink, releasing a crisp flow of water. Cupping water in my hands, I wet my face. The rush of cool moisture against my clammy skin awakens my senses. As I wipe the excess water from my eyes, the vanity lights suddenly seem brighter than before. The water washes away anxiety. I am new. She will know and I will tell her. The soothing sound of a deeper tone issuing from my lips doesn't surprise me. The other voice who shares my mind has arrived. Terence. I prefer my real name. Charlie suits me better. But the other voice has a different opinion. He thinks I need a stronger name, something stoic with a tinge of authority. We step back from the sink and take a deep breath. Through our reflection, I can see Terence inside me. I still look the same but he makes slight changes to my appearance. Something about him brings out more approachability in my face. The corners of my mouth perk up instead of down. My stature straightens and my eyes glint with an inner intelligence. We watch each other through the mirror, adjusting to the shift in personality control. He moves my hand and waves. Stellan needs to be set free and I'm... Too weak, Terence responds as he arches my eyebrow like the spine of a cat. Yes, Charlie, I know. I am the gloves keeping your hands clean. I'm fully aware of your weakness. But that's the beauty of our symbiotic relationship. You understand me, and I understand you. Together we thrive. When Terence speaks from my mouth, his voice is sultry and thick as syrup. He rubs my hands together as he shifts my weight from one foot to the other. I see a nervous hunger in my reflection. I want you to use my exact words, I say, trying in vain to project a certain shade of valor in my voice. 
Restrictions don't work for me, Charlie. Not at all. You know I loathe them. So why expect me to follow a script on this one? Stella is my love, my true love. Married 25 years and not once has she lied to me. We passed every test life could muster. We conquered every argument, every jealousy, and every pitfall. The bumps and bounces only tightened our bond, drawing us closer together. I don't know how to convey those feelings to Terence. He doesn't think the same way I do. He doesn't understand emotion. She's different from the rest of my life. Like you, she makes me better. Don't you mean our life? No, damn it, my life. I understand that you want her to leave. She's a distraction. I get it. All I'm asking is that you recite the words I memorized. If you relay my message, she will leave on her own and you'll be free from her disruptions. Fine, Charlie, whatever you say. I'll play nice. As long as we can keep the plan on schedule. Thank you. His plan has been in action since my second year of middle school. After my father passed, I watched my mother decline into the bitter melancholy of prescription drugs. Dependent on a hodgepodge of uppers, downers, suppressants, and enhancers, she gradually forgot I existed. Without her, I was utterly alone. I withdrew from the world, hiding from anything different or scary, steadily becoming a recluse. This was when I found Terence buried in a chasm of my mind. He begged to be released. He pointed out that I was an atrophied calf tied to a stake waiting for someone to come along and chop me into veal. He promised happiness if I set him free. So I did. He then proceeded to take control of my life. He handled obstacles as if they were mere hurdles. He pushed me further than I thought imaginable, shaping me into the man I am today. Unfortunately, Terence sees Stella as a roadblock. He says I will be a more effective male if I eliminate her. I tend to agree with anything he suggests, but eliminating Stella is out of the question, so I compromised. Terence will tell her to leave and never return. He will tell her a story about how I have fallen in love with another woman. We agreed that this would be for the best. I know you, Charlie. I know you're wallowing in self-pity right now, but you need to forget about her. Your overly apathetic attitude is why you needed me in the first place. So don't forget, I'm here to help. Let's just get this done. Yes, let's. As a powerless passenger, I watched Terence open the bathroom door and step into the hallway that runs along the back of the house. Yellow light from the bathroom cuts the gloom around us. The sound of Stella giggling at the television echoes down the hall from our right. We turn toward her voice. A bluish-white light flickers at the end of the hall and Stella laughs again. She sounds happy. I can picture her on the couch with her legs pulled behind her in a half lay, tilting her head back in laughter. He keeps our posture stiff as we take careful steps, moving down the carpeted hall. As we approach the end of the hall, the laughing of a studio audience on TV joins Stella's. The scent of tea lingers in the air. We stop where the light from the television intersects with the shadow of the hallway. From here, we can see the back of Stella's long brown hair. Watching her elegant silhouette in the dancing lights of the television, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. She seems happy and innocent. Stella is in her late fifties, but with the low light and the nostalgic bubble in my throat, she appears thirty years younger. Instead of entering the living room as planned, we move into the room to our left. 
We quietly enter and shut the door. We flip a switch, and the overhead lights illuminate the soft wood trimmings of my office. What are we doing? I ask. Don't you worry, Charlie, old buddy. I've got everything under control. We circle my writing desk, a huge hunk of furniture salvaged from the Civil War era. He wraps our knuckles on the desk as we sit in the leather chair. You know what, Charlie? You take people's tenacity for granted. You and Stella have been together for, what, thirty years? Have you considered the fact that she may not be as willing to part ways with you as you are with her? Don't worry. Just go talk to her. If you tell her what I told you to say, she'll leave. I promise. Oh, I'm not worried. You see, Charlie, I'm taking some insurance along with us. What are you... He answers my question by opening the bottom drawer of my desk. A foolish feeling overwhelms me. My father's snub-nosed pistol is the lone occupant of the drawer. The six-shooter is unimpressive. The gunmetal is dull and the trigger guard worn. Yet, the firing mechanism is in perfect working condition. We grab the gun and stuff it into the back of our pants. This isn't a part of the deal, I say, almost screaming. Shush, shush now. Don't want Stella to hear you arguing with yourself. She might think you're crazy. So be reasonable and listen. Since we're such good friends, I'm still going to try this your way. But if she doesn't leave like you think she will, we'll finish this my way. I don't trust him. He only has one goal. We walk out of the room, closing the door gently behind us. We take soft steps into the living room, staying out of Stella's peripheral vision. She holds the remote in front of her face, clicking from one commercial to another. She tilts her head in frustration and exhales, blowing her bangs off her forehead. Terence uses the plush carpet to his advantage, creeping up behind her. I know that if I say something, Terence will use the gun without hesitation. He's killed people before, with my hands, never needing a gun always enjoying the closeness of a bare-handed kill. Now as we approach Stella, I realize why he brought the gun, to ensure I do what he wants to do, regardless of how I may have felt about it. My plan has some kinks, but it's still my only hope. I've tried so many times to dispose of Terrence, but have always failed. He is inescapable. I watch in horror as we lean forward, placing both hands on the back of the couch. We lower our head to her ear, I smell the lavender-scented perfume I gave her for our anniversary. Hello, my love. She jumps in her seat, startled by our presence. Oh, Charlie, I didn't see you there. She thinks he is me. I yearn to tell her to run, to escape with her life. We need to talk, Terence responds, moving the back of our hand to her cheek. She smiles and nuzzles in return. I feel the smooth warmth of her skin, and I hold hope this won't be the last time I caress her face. What about? she asks. I've been a bad boy, Stella. I've done bad things to people, things that would make you ashamed of me. She turns her head toward us, her eyebrows scrunched together. What are you going on about? He has gone way the hell off script. The opening line was right, but now he is plainly playing a game of his own doing, he knows I'm stuck between her and him, so he's toying with me for fun. I'm confessing to you, Stella, he says as he continues to stroke her cheek. I'm a murderer. I have taken men by the throat and squeezed the life from them. 
My heart withers as I watch her body stiffen and her face go slack. Terence's voice has lost its soothing quality, and I can see fear creeping through Stella. Do you get what I'm going on about now? Charlie, stop this. You're scaring me. The confusion on her face reminds me of a kicked dog who doesn't know what he did wrong. Our hand moves down her face to her neck. Flashes of the men he's killed flood my mind's eye. I am tempted to scream. A million degrees of rage burns inside me. The real torture takes place as I watch my fingers circling the base of her neck. I am incapable of closing my eyes while Terence is in control. Instead, I close my mind and focus on saving Stella. As much as I will enjoy this, a part of me will miss you when you're dead. I hear his words, but I block the image of what follows. I sense Stella panicking. I sense Terence swinging my other arm to her throat. I feel exertion coursing through my arms. A muffled cry is followed by a grunt. I find parts of myself scattered across my mind. I gather them, assembling my strength. My entire plan has led to this moment. I have courage. For the first time in my life, I am ready to stand up for myself. Focusing, I pull my attention to the surface of my consciousness. I search myself for my hand, the hand Terence is using to strangle my wife. I find my fingers. I concentrate on each individual digit. I feel the immense pressure being used in them and the weakening heart that beats beneath. Terence is so enthralled with his game that he fails to notice my presence. I loosen one finger, then another, and another. Keeping the fingers under control takes every thread of my willpower. The other hand remains firmly dug into Stella's throat as she claws and scrapes at our face. Terence can feel pain, like me, and he yells. The instant of weakness allows me to strengthen my hold on that lone hand. Control returns to the entire arm in a sudden snap, and I waste no time. I reach around my back and grab the handle of the pistol. Stella! Shoot me! I yell as I shove the gun into her chest. Her hands are busy fighting off my other arm, but she hears me. Terence is suddenly aware of my actions. He releases his grip from Stella. They reach out for the gun, but Stella is faster. She holds the revolver in her trembling hand. Terence freezes. Is this what you wanted all along, Charlie old buddy? Terence asks with disdain. Shoot! I plead, ignoring my other voice. Shoot now! He has regained control of my arm. I'm powerless to stop him. I trust in Stella. I trust her to kill Terence, even if that means killing me. Stella's entire body convulses. Dark red and purple bruises cover her neck. Blood leaks from moon-shaped divots left by my fingernails. We move, circling the couch, and I can feel a broad smile on my face. Stella, baby, it's me. You wouldn't shoot. An explosion from the snub nose cuts him short. She drops the gun, and I drop to the couch. Terence has at last relinquished my body. I look down at my chest and see a red-rimmed hole. Blood strings from my open mouth onto my chest. I can hear Stella crying as she falls on the couch next to me. She wraps her hands around me, pleading for forgiveness. I feel Terence fading inside of me, returning to that dank hole I found him in years ago. I look into Stella's eyes. Reflected in them is a lifetime of happiness and love. Thank you. I manage to croak between haggard breaths. My vision fades, and the sound of Stella's crying loses intensity. I know Terence is gone. I know she is safe. 
I know that it was worth the risk. I only wish I had time to explain. story gets me because it takes what I believe is the scariest implication in horror fiction and maybe in human fear in real life too, and it hits you right on the nose with it. Whether you're layering to protect against zombie bites or refusing drinks to avoid being drugged, you're always running from the same basic fear. As a society, we've gotten pretty comfortable with the idea that we can't control our destinies, but the realization that something can take away our ability to control our own actions still terrifies us. After all, how do you cope when you understand that the devil is not, as they say, in the details, but just in you? How do you pry that gun from your own cold, dead hands? How you gonna win when you ain't right within? Well, that's our show, folks. If you liked it, or if you like what we do here generally, please keep in mind that we rely on your donations to pay our authors and our server costs. This episode was produced and distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. So burn it, email it, file share it, or smoke signal it. We don't care. Just don't change it or sell it. The music, as always, is courtesy of The Contrarian. Until next time, stay well.